day to all our listeners and welcome to Stefan Hennig, our guest on the Sea Trade Maritime Conference. Stefan is going to be appearing at the Salvage and Wreck Conference on the 6th and 7th of December at the Leonardo Royal Hotel in London. But today he joins us for a preview, which is uh, great. Thanks for coming, Stefan. No, thanks for giving me the opportunity to join the podcast. So you are the SOSREP, the Secretary of State Representative for Salvage. Can you just explain to us what a SOSREP is and what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, so the role is uh, I'm a civil servant. I work with the Maritime and Coast Guard Agency, which is part of the Department for Transport. And my role is in maritime emergencies. So when a shipping accident has happened, to be able to give government opportunity for intervention if it's required. And also, obviously, to assist in the resolution of uh, maritime incidents when an accident has happened in a safe manner and in an environmentally non-threatening manner. Why does the government need someone like you? Are you a specialist? Are you a naval architect? What's the reason behind that? No, so the role was created in 1999 and it was a direct response to the Sea Empress grounding and uh, subsequent pollution in 1996, where essentially, if you sum it up, salvage by committee was conducted. And the government conducted a review into salvage and intervention. And the findings by Lord Donaldson, a retired judge, uh, well-respected in the community, had already conducted a review into the grounding of the Brea three years prior. And his observation was that salvage by committee is, in general terms, ineffective and inefficient. In an emergency, you need somebody who is able to make decisions in the interest of the greater public good and not be swayed one way or another by one interest or another. So essentially take a dispassionate look at solving the problem and doing so in the interest of safety and the environment. So the system that we have set up now is a direct result Sea Empress accident. As I understand it, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but our system of um, dealing with these accidents around our, our shores is different from Europe and America. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. So different countries, depending on especially the administrative set, the setup and their um, legal system, allow for various ways of um, becoming involved or intervening or managing uh, maritime emergencies. So, for example, in the United States, you have a, a incident command system where you have a single incident commander who looks after the totality of an incident. We don't have that due to the way we are set up legally and administratively, where we have a parallel command structure, where separate parts of the administration look after different aspects of an accident. Other countries, for example, the colleagues uh, on the French side, have so-called préfet maritime. There are three of them for various regions around the French coast. Um, And they have also delegated power from politicians in emergencies to make decisions on behalf of them, essentially to prevent a delay in a response. Right. So your role is more coordination rather than a direct control. Is that fair? Yes, but it's got the scope for control. For example, if I see that uh, in the response to an incident, the responsible parties don't act the way they ought to act, then through UK legislation, I've got the ability to issue safety directions to essentially steer the the response into the direction that it should be going to in terms of positive resolution. Right. Can you give us an example of how the SOSREP role would work in a live situation? Yeah, sure. And I suppose um, when we speak about the role and uh, why it was created, I think so far, most um, 
uh, appropriate uh, way or incident, most applicable incident, was the grounding of the MSC Napoli, which was a deliberate grounding. This was in uh, 2007 when the MSC Napoli had encountered structural damage uh, on voyage through the English Channel. Crew had to be taken off. A salvage company went on board. And between authorities and the salvors, it was decided to bring the ship closer to the UK coast. Um, the port of Portland was the um, ultimate destination to essentially save the ship and, and its cargo. But um, unfortunately, um, the salvors reported from the vessel as they were approaching Lime Bay, that's uh, west of Portland Bill, um, that the ship was at serious threat of breaking apart at sea. So the decision had to be made. The recommendations from the salvors were, we'll beach it. That way we prevent it from, from breaking up at sea. The ship had 3,500 tons of intermediate fuel oil as bunkers, quite polluting, and 2,300 containers. It was at that time one of the largest container ships in the world. So essentially the, the first Sozrab who was in the role then had to make the decision fairly quickly. You know, no good outcomes here. All the outcomes are negative, but which is the least negative, so to speak running the ship aground in an area which environmental colleagues had said, you know, high sensitivities here, there's going to be damage to the environment if we do this. And uh, so the weighing up was, there's going to be environmental damage either way. So either in the channel with the ship breaking apart and spilling its bunkers, pollutants, plus 2,300 uh, containers, and the ship itself creating a hazard, not only environmentally, but also to other navigation, so no easy decision, but in hindsight, um, you know, the Sozrep at the time decided no running it aground where we can gain an element of control over the subsequent salvage and, and essentially limit the impact to, to an area rather than, you know, widespread pollution. The Sozrep at the time took the decision, yes, we will run it aground and deal with, uh, with the salvage and the wreck removal after we've beached the vessel. And he took that decision in concert with the other agencies involved. Was there a naval architect involved or something like that as well? Yeah, there would be naval architects on the Salvo side. I don't actually know if there was time at that time to, to do independent assessment because it was essentially still a, an emergency response. Um, and it's, uh, you know, Salvos were under best endeavors, obviously, to resolve the, the situation. But Yes. So even though the decision may rest with the individual in this role, you know, be foolish to say you're, you're making these decisions on your own. Um, you rely on on other experts in various fields to assist you in the decision making. The the buck stops with you, so to speak. Right. Which means you want to be sure that you have as much information as you can to base your decisions on. Did the SOSREP come under pressure at that time by environmental groups or local groups? Yeah. So. Prior to the grounding, like I said, the advice from what's called the environment group, so that's a group made up of um, statutory nature conservation bodies, public health, um, and so on, was, you know, if you need to beach it, don't beach it there, but it's advice only, so it, it doesn't have legal status, so to speak. Right. And obviously, the decision wasn't a light one to take, and after the grounding, there was a lot of criticism, of course, um, there always will be. But I think with the benefit of hindsight and a bit of distance between the incident quite a few years later, I don't think there was anybody who said that was the wrong decision. Even the people who were quite strongly against it at the time said, yeah, with, with hindsight, it was the right decision.
Right. So, so the Sozorek got it right and it kind of became obvious later that he got it right. There was, if I remember rightly with the Napoli, a lot of cargo on the beach. Was the Sozorek responsible for that too? No, so that's a separate function. We'll need to split this out when we speak about pollution on the on the shoreline. That is a local authority um, responsibility. Um, but when it comes to cargo that comes off a ship and and washes up on the on the beach, there's a separate function in the uh, Maritime and Coast Guard Agency, which is called the Receiver of Wreck. So they will take ownership of what comes aground. So you, if you find something on the beach that you know has evidently come off a vessel. You can't just take it. You can take it, but you have to report that you've taken it so that if the owners can be found, can be reunited with their property. And that is through the, yeah, I think there's a there's a, a link on the government website to for the receiver of rec, a form, and then you, you send it in via email, I think, and then you report it that way. And that, that way they can keep track of, you know, stuff that's come ashore, has been found, and then can be maybe reunited with their rightful owners. If you're enjoying the Sea Trade Maritime podcast, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on the app of your choice. And is there a preventative element to the Solzrec role? Very much so. So um, I have a deputy, and uh, she and I we um, are on an on an on-call rota with uh, both the Maritime and Coast Guard Agency and the offshore uh, regulators, so that we can essentially start monitoring whether the situation is such that, you know, the vessel maybe has some machinery defect which can be repaired, might take a couple of hours, and if the ship is far enough from the shore, that might be permissible. But, you know, when it's a bit closer to the shore and there's a threat, then we can make sure that necessary arrangements are made. For example, a tug is organized to, you know, secure a tow with the ship and, and take it to a place of safety. So, yeah, earliest, earliest intervention uh, at the first uh, notification of an accident. Right, I see. And do you get involved in, um, in further back, if you like, before accidents happen um, with preventing or, or is that too far beyond your, your remit? No, there's, there's obviously only so much you have control over, especially, especially if you're in, in the role of uh, being sort of the helping solve a problem once it's arisen. No, but we engage quite frequently with the shipping community, you know, uh, marine insurers, liability insurers, and telemachinery insurers, and salvors to essentially, you know, review accidents to say, um, how can we prevent this from happening again? Or when it happens again, how can we streamline communications? What are our expectations of each other as, as organizations in what needs to be done to, to help resolve the accident in a positive manner? So you would also liaise with, say, the Dutch safety board when an accident happens there and and uh, have discussions over I mean for example the MSC Zoe I think when I spoke to them they they were talking about these latest vessels being very large being very broad and they want to come upright very quickly and that whiplash effect is uh, throwing containers overboard is that something that you would have done with the, uh, the safety board in, in, in Holland, whose name I've forgotten, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I understand they did an in-depth study into why the Zoe lost a lot of containers. 
Uh, okay, so so when we're going into technical bits, um, that's, that's quite difficult to to gauge. But what I, what I do know is working with. Um, so obviously, when when we have an incident that might affect um, either side of the channel or you know multiple administrations, sure. Then at, at the earliest opportunity, there there is already exchange between the various organizations, so that if a joint response is required, we can affect that, or if we can support each other in helping resolve the accident. When it comes to technical things like that, there's, there's very little I have influence over. But what I can say, you know, working especially with with insurers who you know are in, interested in loss prevention in the first instance, they obviously take these findings also back to ship owners to say, here are the issues. What can we do next time or from now on to prevent this or minimize the likelihood of this happening again? Right, I see. Your work then with other other countries, other nations, is is mainly to do with um, trying to solve issues that are happening immediately. And how do you interact with them? Is it your role to interact with the other salvage or the other countries, the other states, or is there a coordinating body for the whole of Europe or in the Channel? No, it's it's usually a bilateral or multilateral cooperation on the day, but that's obviously not done without preparation. So you know, we have various meetings and get-togethers um, over the years. So because you know personnel change as well, sure. and people need to people need to get used to the systems they work in and and look at uh, other other authorities even outside their own country that they who they might be working with. Um, so it's uh, we have regular meetings with colleagues where we discuss. Know, common challenges and when an incident happens we have plans in place where through a cascading alert system depending on the severity of an incident um, we can we can make sure that at the earliest opportunity everybody essentially works off the same information so day to day will you be making plans with other countries or will you be monitoring shipping what will your your daily life be like as a SOSREP? So quite a lot of uh, what I do is um, outreach. Um, so we have various uh, we have various initiatives. For example, between myself and the uh, international group of PNI Club, we have a m- memorandum of understanding where we work together. We exchange um, ideas and and uh, and thoughts on current challenges, challenges possible you know in the future. You know, large casualties. What would we do? How would we best pool our efforts? to resolve any situation you know coming back to the to the msc napoli you know it took over 900 days um to remove the last piece of wreck from from that ship so massive challenges which uh, require everyone's effort to work together so a, a lot of what i do is outreach and that's not just me telling you know other parties how our system works but me also learning and understanding um how that works and then i can i take that back to my own organization or other government organizations to say, you know, we, we maybe need to plan for this or exercise this type of scenario so so that we at least have a hypothetical understanding of, of what could go wrong. In an emergency, uh, you know, the best plans are always well made, but, you know, not everything goes according to a plan. Right. As Clausewitz used to say uh, when he was alive, uh, there's friction uh, in in these uh, in these situations, isn't there? That the unexpected yeah. always expect the unexpected. Absolutely. And um, so, j- just the last question, and this is kind of um, I'm going to blindside you here, but um, the, the prestige was in the middle of the the channel. Would would the French and the English 
authorities have to have liaised very closely over the issue of the prestige, which was an ongoing problem, wasn't it, for a number of months, I think, or, or, or weeks at least. Yeah, so so there would ob- uh, obviously, like I said earlier, in accordance with our um, with our well rehearsed plans, be um, communication fairly early on, and um, I think if if we've learned, or if the international community has learned a few things from incidents like the Prestige and Erica and Castor, is that problems tend to not go away once they've arisen; they tend to get worse. Yeah. Um. So intervention at the earliest opportunity. When, when an accident has happened is is always is always prudent on everyone and you know it would never be an easy decision um, to you know if we transpose the scenario MSC Napoli to prestige 2.0 nowadays yeah but you would still be looking at a controllable incident and an, and a minimal area of of damage rather than large-scale damage like we encountered with uh, prestige for example Okay, and then one very last question, and, and this is really blindsiding you. I'm really sorry about this, but <laughs> difficult for me to prepare for this question. Um, if, if it's a theoretical one, if an electric uh, car caught fire on a Dover ferry heading out to France, the situation is kind of new because we don't usually um, see electric vehicles, or we haven't up to now, had a lot, a lot of electric vehicles around. Is there a plan to deal with this already or or is this something that you're preparing for or what is the plan? Yeah, it's certainly something that I think is concerning the industry and administrations alike. Yeah. Um, and we have we have good good collaboration between industry and government in that to say that, you know, when, when we have these incidents, the quickest response is required. There are obviously challenges with that. Like you said, it's a fairly new occurrence. Yes. Um, which which means you can probably prepare as best as you can for for when it happens. And there and there need to be, you know, especially from the operator's side, really, really good control measures in place to be able to to affect minimization, especially when you're talking about ferries, you know, with, with hundreds of passengers, for example. Exactly. Yes. Um, so, so at the, and, and, but that is something that in the absence of, of international regulation, peculiar or particular to the issue of lithium-ion batteries, where industry probably will have to drive first, because now have this issue right now, and we need to resolve it and not wait for regulation to come in. And that's obviously cha- challenging in itself. But yes, it's a, it's, it's a very hot topic, no pun intended, that how do we effectively respond to these types of incidents? And, you know, lithium-ion batteries um, or vehicles, electric vehicles, aren't just carried on, on passenger ferries. There's also other types of vessels. So the question is, you know, do these different types of vessels require different responses? Obviously, when there is a fire, the aim is to put the fire out. But if that is a challenge, what do we do? I haven't found anybody who's been able to give me an answer, both in industry or other administrations, of how to deal with that in the best and safest manner. So, yeah, it's it's tricky. And no doubt, you know, every week you'll see initiatives, meetings, presentations about this issue. So how do we tackle it? How do we best prevent it from happening in the first instance? But when it happens, what do we do? You know, do we apply the same types of responses and systems that we have to all other incidents? 
Well, that's all we have time for today. I think you'll agree that Stefan has provided a fascinating insight into the role of the SOSREP and has set the scene for further fascinating discussions at the Salvage and Rec Conference in London later this year. Thank you for joining me, Nick Savides, and Stefan for this episode of the Maritime Podcast, and we look forward to welcoming you to another episode very soon. Thank you and goodbye.